Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast. This is the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. If you want to know more about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompounding.com, where you can read stock ideas written up by me and other members. Membership costs $60 a month, but if you use the promo code podcast, it'll be $50 a month for you. Andrew and I also manage accounts for investors. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscompounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. That's 469-207-5844. And now here's Andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast. All right, we are back. How is everybody doing out there today? Hope you are doing well. Mr. Jeff Gannon, how's it going across this table? It is going great. How's it going with you? It is going great. My name is Andrew Kuhn. Thank you so much to everybody for tuning in. If you do want to get access to our website, use the podcast promo code, which is podcast, and I'll take some money off of the subscription price indefinitely. As long as you do stay a member, uh, it'll take about $10 off, so they bring the mm-hmm. $60 monthly fee down to $50. Um, if you want to get on our email list and all that fun stuff, go to Focus Compounding on the homepage. You'll see a place to enter in. Um, your email for that. Jeff sends out about two to 3,000 word memos now for free. Uh, so you can definitely get that in your email box every single week if you sign up for that. Yeah, it's basically an investment article. Yeah, Basically an investment article, which has uh, been very well received, especially because it's free. Yeah, that probably helps. People like yeah. free, right? <laughs> um, uh, another last announcement, mm-hmm. which I did um, announce briefly in the last podcast. We are now on Spotify. So a lot of okay. people have asked, and I, when I first tweeted it out, I'm like, better late than ever, right? We've been mm-hmm. doing these podcasts for like over a year. Yeah. Actually, um, because of the Spotify, I went on, on the app and I did oldest to newest. Mm-hmm. And our first one came on like February of last year okay so we're just, we actually wow. crossed the year mark mm-hmm. can you believe it yeah can you believe it so if you want to listen to that and you don't have ios on your um if you don't have an ios phone or you just like spotify we are definitely on there now so feel free to check us out there so our firm specializes in investing in what we call overlooked stocks right right and you had a really great quote and actually your memo which oh, yeah. I loved, where you said, um, and I love it so much, I'm probably going to butcher it, <laughs> where you said, we spend 99% of our time focusing on what 1% of the funds focus on. I, I don't know. Right. We spend, yeah. Not, yeah, I said basically we spend 99% of our time focusing on the 1% of stocks that, yes. you know, other funds don't look at. Exactly. That's true. Yeah. So I told you I was going to butcher it. And that is true, by the way. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I thought today, and because we've had a lot of people reach out about it, we should dedicate a podcast to how to find overlooked stocks. Right. And this is a category that we sort of bundled together ourselves because mm-hmm. when we're trying to put together uh, a firm, we wanted to obviously bring something that we thought was different than just, you know, investing in large caps or like a go right. anywhere fund or whatever. We wanted to sort of specialize in. So we define overlooked stocks as spinoffs, um, illiquid stocks, net nets, near net nets, uh, stock trading below book or below um, net cash, mm-hmm. which I guess is that. Um, um, and then we also do overseas stocks as well. Right. Pretty much just a subset of stocks that for one reason or another, certain managers because of stipulations at their fund or probably um, you know AUM constraints, they just mm-hmm. tend to not focus in this area. It's almost right. like a pond that we think is uh, better for, I guess, value fishing, if you right. will. Um, so maybe we could spend, I mean, I guess spinoffs are, could be a good place to start, but like how you typically go about finding your spinoffs and you know what types of spinoffs are you interested in and kind of go from there. Sure. Spinoffs are the easiest to find, and they're, in a sense, the least overlooked. Some very big spinoffs I wouldn't really consider an overlooked stock. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we mentioned here that there's uh, MSG with um, 
uh, Madison Square Garden with, with their sports teams and stuff. Um, that's and, not, yeah. When all the bigger ones too are like in the Wall Street Journal and stuff, like yeah, that's probably not right. The best yeah. To- now it can still happen when you have something like a company all breaking apart. You know, um, I don't know how much attention they're paying to every uh, bit of what might break off GE or something, especially if it's some very small thing. Um, you know, there's a, a spinoff I think planned of the lighting unit of Eaton. Um, which would be uh, really small probably compared to the size of that total business. So some things where that happens, where it's a huge business spinning off a really small thing, it still can be overlooked and stuff. But when you're talking about things like, you know, the Knicks and the Rangers and stuff, that's not overlooked. Everyone's paying attention to that. Um, So uh, they're the easiest to find. Uh, You can go online and look up uh, particular sites that focus on spinoffs. The biggest thing that you should read for any of these things, I would say, is Clark Street Value. Um, just because that's focused on special situations, any special situations blog you can find. Uh, there's a few sites you've looked at, right? That have the yeah, stockspinoffs.com, okay, stockspinoffmonitor.com. Um, there you go. Yeah, and, yeah. and there's uh, you could pay for a couple different ones as well, okay. where they give you like reports. But I've just always yeah. used the free ones. Yeah, and there's probably uh, what I do is I have um, I don't know over 50 blogs or so that I have in like uh, uh, I am subscribed by RSS to them, and I. Um, just check that all the time every day. And so there's some blog posts that come up and, and, you know, I don't know, five or so of those blogs probably cover spinoffs. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm somewhat aware of different spinoffs that are playing that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, and for people that are interested in spinoffs, we've done so many podcasts yeah. on like the types of spinoffs we like, so we don't even need to really and go read, into that. You can be a stock market genius. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty much, I mean, that's pretty much, I mean, in our investor presentation, mm-hmm. we literally put a picture of you can be a stock market genius. Yeah, that book. Yeah. Um, so next, and I didn't mention before, we also look, for, we group dark stocks and right. over the counter stocks, which probably yes. most people aren't familiar with dark stocks. So maybe okay. you should go there other than when we've talked yeah. about it. So dark stocks. So in the US, um, uh, most, all, basically all the companies that you've probably invested in file with the SEC. So they file 10 Qs quarterly and 10 Ks annually um, with the SEC. You can go to sec.gov slash Edgar, type in their ticker, and you will find all their filings. Um, it is, however, not a requirement that if you are a public company, uh, you have to file with the SEC. Uh, it can be a requirement if there's uh, certain things. But it's especially today, it's fairly easy that a company could end up being public, uh, owned by a lot of different people, uh, and yet not file with the SEC. The SEC. Uh, and we have, let's see, um, three such stocks, I would say, right? Yeah. Now? Yep. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, and that's probably a pretty common thing to invest in. In fact, all of our largest stocks are dark stocks, mm-hmm. which is interesting because microcap stocks um, are another category, and but there's lots of public uh, microcap stocks that, that, uh, file with the SEC always have, have plenty of information out about them. But there are a few very large, um, dark stocks. Uh, well, I mean, by our standard, it's very large. I guess yeah. <laughs> by a large cap fund, they're not a lot large of enough as- at all. I think a lot of people would associate dark stocks though with being like micro caps. And we're talking three hundred million to a billion. Yeah, sure. In the, in the uh, which are pretty decently sized companies. I mean, no like yes. mega caps, but yeah, right. No, no, no. I mean, they. Yeah, in one case, we're talking about a company that's fifty years old. Yeah. Um, uh, has always paid a dividend. Yeah, has paid a dividend. Yeah. You know, it would be on a list of dividend, what is it, dividend achievers, dividend champions, yeah. those sorts of things. Yeah. yeah. It would make those lists, but it doesn't because it's a dark stock, and so you don't have that information. Um, you can actually find the financial information. For instance, that the example of that company, I think, puts 20 years of financial stuff up on their site. A lot of them put up information on their own site, at least going back a few years in their annual reports. Just because you're a dark stock doesn't mean you don't have annual reports. 
Um, this past month, one of the dark stocks that we have actually put an appraisal of their, uh, you know, uh, their uh, major assets. Mm-hmm. So that's something that they put out, which is sometimes more than than some public companies would do. Some public companies don't have uh, appraisals of some of their land and stuff um, done for you, and that's an important uh, thing to have. So there's not a requirement that they can put out that information. Now they're not being regulated by the SEC in that information that they put out, um, and so that may concern a lot of people. How do you normally come across dark stocks? Uh, that's a very good question. Dark stocks are hard to come across. Um, blogs that cover it is the main thing. What I do is when I find a blog that covers any of this sort of stuff that we like, I go back and um, catalog in an Excel sheet every single post that they've ever done and put in every single ticker symbol and company name. In fact, I put both because if there's any change with the company, they might keep the ticker and change the name, or they might change the ticker and keep the name. And that happens if you're looking at old posts from from years ago. And uh, I list absolutely everything that they've ever done uh, for a blog. So like we talked about um, oddball stocks um, with the interview with Nate. Um, He'd been blogging for several years, and I think I got hundreds of, of company names from that. Uh, and some of them are dark, uh, you know, in that case, dozens of stocks are darker in some other way would be less likely to be found. Um, there's a thread investment ideas at corner of Berkshire and Fairfax, and you should likewise go to the beginning of that archive, go back to the oldest post there up to the present day and just write down every company that you can find, you know, put in Excel. And by that, I mean, every company you haven't heard of before, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that's the big thing. You look for things that you haven't heard of. And especially if you spend a lot of time doing investing things, um, it's not uncommon. On many sites, you know, I could go all day and not hear the name of any company that I haven't uh, at least glanced at before. Sure, you know? yeah. If you go to the front page of Seeking Alpha or something, there's not ever going to be something on yeah. there that isn't uh, a company that I immediately recognize the name of. So when you don't recognize something, that's interesting. Uh, and you also go to Value Investors Club, same thing. They have a stocks A to Z where it shows everything that's ever been written on my Value Investors Club, including short write-ups and things like that. And you do not need to become a member of Value Investors Club because it's not important that you have the most recent ideas. No, It's important that you have the most ideas because you want those obscure ones and stuff. And there are some very, very tiny stocks that have been written up on Value Investors Club. I mean, they're like $15 million market cap stocks that have been written up there. Um, So you can find them. Uh, Another thing you can do is you can get Walker's Manual, uh, which is... You can be found online to buy a hard copy of it, which is what I had uh, have. And um, I say had because they haven't printed one in forever. But many of those companies are still public in some way. And basically, that's a, Walker's is basically a list of dark stocks. So it's basically a, a hardbound list of dark stocks. And that was from um, – it was sort of the value line of dark stocks. And, but the most recent one is, I don't know, 15 or 20 years old or something. I don't remember exactly, but old. Um so, you know, that's another one mm-hmm. that you would look at definitely. What about over-the-counter stocks? The website? I mean, no, I mean, oh, over oh. The, the group over-the-counter stocks, oh, OTC yeah. stocks. So OTC stocks are pretty easy to find, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I think I've always, I mean, I just come across them in, like, normal screens and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I would that. say people talk about them pretty freely in, in the U.S. with all the over-the-counter stocks. Um, and it's gotten more interesting that way because the company, OTC Markets, um, has done more and more to kind of increase the quality of some of them to try to push companies to pay them higher fees to meet certain requirements and stuff so that when you get to the top tiers of over-the-counter stocks, 
it's very similar. They, they've modeled it really closely to the SEC type stuff. Because mm-hmm. um, that happens. Because actually, like I mentioned, um, uh, there was a stock uh, that, that we have, and uh, it had a change in management. The board switched over uh, this last year. And if you read their most recent report, it's a dark stock. But it's clear that in many ways they modeled it off of what a 10K would look like. Mm-hmm. So it's not a 10K. doesn't meet the requirements that it would have to, to go to the SEC. But a lot of their disclosures, a lot of the way they organized it, everything is modeling it off that sort of as if that's like a best practice. They're mm-hmm. kind of copying yeah. that, you know, and that's happening. I've noticed more and more with OTC on the top tiers of what it has. Um, so, yeah. So when we say OTC stocks, it's pink sheets, OTC that gives all those different names of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we should say those are where all of the stocks scams are, all the frauds, all the penny stocks, all that sort of thing. Yeah. Although that tends to be more in... I'd say like sometimes more heavily traded stocks. I was gonna say sometimes literally liquid, penny stocks liquid, too. Yeah, yeah but, highly but liquid. But these floats are like ridiculous. I mean, right. even yeah, for yeah. sure. They're more trading vehicles. Yeah, I mean, there's the most frightening place for an investor to be in. I would think would be highly liquid tiny stocks. Mm-hmm. That's really, um, which is kind of counterintuitive to probably how a lot of people think. Yeah, I mean, I would well, they're say much so. more dangerous. Yeah, they're, among sure. microcaps, the the liquid ones. Yeah, yeah, much much more. dangerous. Well, I'm saying though, people probably would be more comfortable with the liquidity. There. Yeah, but they're you know wrong. What I'm saying the liquid ones. Yeah, are much that's safer. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 you know, and that's why. And Jeff and I, when we were talking uh, before the podcast, we were just talking about like our firm or whatever. And mm-hmm. I was like, how would how do you think you'd classify our firm? Because we always right. say overlook stocks, right? Right. And, and I was saying that as a style box, they put you just yeah, microcap. I, I was like, but we're technically not. I mean, because mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of other managers that are in the microcap space, right? But but the stocks different. they trade are there's totally different. The volatility is very different. Totally we talked about it before. different. We talked about that some microcap managers we know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, totally different mm-hmm. than than the companies that we invest in. Yeah. And part of that may be that we invest in dark stocks, although I think a big, big part of it, to be honest, is that um, although we talk about being value investors, the sort of overlay that we have in terms of what we pick among small stocks is actually really high quality. Mm-hmm. And that's the big thing. So really, really small stocks, the big difference between really small stocks and really big stocks is that as a rule, really big stocks, I'm talking like Dow stocks or S&P 500 stocks almost universally are now or were really solid businesses. So sometimes they might have been a solid business and they've fallen on hard times and, you know, they're in secular decline or whatever. But at some point they had to have a really fundamentally solid business, reinvested all this time, gotten so big that, you know, they really were a blue chip at some point. That has to have been the case. That is not true of very small stocks. They usually have trouble funding themselves. They have to issue a lot of stock, whereas big stocks tend to buy back. They dilute. They need to borrow, and they often need to borrow from banks that can't um, borrow with bonds. So you have all of that stuff. And yet, when you look at what we own among it, um, rarely, I can only think of one company we have that has significant amounts of debt. And it's not significant compared to their assets, but, I mean, they actually borrow. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most of what we own doesn't has really doesn't borrow it doesn't have financial debt of uh, and well all of them have some net cash except for that uh, one that borrows significantly and um which is unusual for for microcap type stocks and um they're also high quality in that they've been around a long time and been self-funding and things like that i mean we mentioned one that's been paying a dividend over 40 years things like that mm-hmm. that's very that's that's common among like a dow type stock very uncommon among a microcap stock yeah so the big thing is the reason why microcap stocks are really dangerous usually um there's a lot of reasons people are afraid of fraud and all that stuff but the big danger is just 
being a bad business. Yeah. You know, having a history of losses, things like that. The biggest danger you're going to run into is this is not a well-established, seasoned business that's been around a while, has a strong position in its industry, things like that. These are fledgling companies, you know? I was going to say, it's kind of like, you remember the, when Bitcoin was like, going crazy mm-hmm. or whatever and like you had all these companies that were like in the printer business and that's like all of a sudden they're like oh now we're gonna do stuff on the blockchain right, right? and these yeah. stocks that would go from like a few dollars to like a hundred dollars in mm-hmm. a couple of days you know right and yeah and that's that's the no association yeah, yeah exactly and that's yeah. the association i think a lot of people have with microcaps right you know that's when i was talking about how i don't think of ourselves as microcap investors because it's mm-hmm. totally different than right you know, every person that's listening, the type of microcaps that they're thinking about, you know, absolutely. I know what you mean. Um, and there are things like about how they define penny stocks and things like that. And it's true that technically like, so some people think that penny stocks are like over the counter stocks, but almost everything that we have would, well, everything we have would not be classified as a penny stock and doesn't mean a lot of those sorts of things. Usually a lot less liquid, um, especially not just less liquid, but if you take the amount of market cap that there is and, um, Divide by you know divide the actual amount of trading each day into the market cap. It, the turnover is very very low. So mm-hmm. whoever's owning the stock is owning it for really long periods of time. What worries me in microcap sorts of things um, is when people are there's a lot of short term trading in it. Yeah, right. You can and see most like the of what we have that's not the case at all. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, I would agree with that. So we kind of just hit on microcaps with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, over the counter. So what about net nets? That's some. That's a right. stock that we haven't really looked at because there haven't been too. There many. haven't been net nets. Certainly yeah. not in the U.S. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Net nets. The main thing with net net is is it a, a so you can find net nets lots of different ways. The biggest success I had finding net nets, to be honest, is a way that um, you're not going to want to hear, which is I went al- alphabetically through Japan. And just listed things, you know, net cash is what I was actually looking for, and and that's what I found. Uh, they're pretty similar, net net and net cash. So. Did you also had to have so many so many years of profitability? Yes, so I added that onto it. But what I mean is, I just took a list where I, um, what I did is I checked two things. Basically, I just looked at a company, and if either of two things were not true, I crossed off immediately. Uh, one is you had a loss, an operating loss in the last ten years, and I crossed you off. Yeah, that's a much easier test to pass than the other one, which is. Um, your uh, you have a negative enterprise value, so it was actually net cash. I take your um, current assets, subtract your total liabilities. Is that number greater than your market cap? Those two things together, with a little practice of being able to do it quickly, I could do in you know thirty seconds per stock or a minute mm-hmm. per stock, sure. or whatever. And then I just went through a few thousand stocks in Japan. There are only a few thousand, and um, you know, and I came up with a list. Yeah. And you could come up with a list of probably ten or something that would that would fit everything that you wanted and would be a good investment. So, yeah, net nets are about proving there's nothing wrong with it, or not not nothing wrong with it, but it's not about proving it's a good business or anything. It's about proving it's a legitimate business. Cigar butt. Yeah, but that is potentially misleading concept for people. Most net cash stocks. So here's the thing: like the U.S., most net cash stocks will be biotech stocks. Don't buy them. The reason you don't buy a biotech stock, unless you know that someone is like taking control of it, is about to take control, something like that, they're going to change the direction of it and everything. Mm -hmm. A biotech stock has never made money. It has lost money all the time. It has a cash burn. The truth is that my bank account with a certain amount of money in it is worth far more than a biotech stock with the same amount of money in it because they're burning cash every month, whereas mine's staying the same right? That's what's happening. So it's, it's not as good as a cash box. Mm -hmm. It isn't what you want always is a business that has some positive value. So it earns something plus it has cash sitting there. 
So like the classic example that I gave for the U.S. would be Georgia Risk, which I owned for six years or something, which was a perfectly good business that built up too much cash, but had been profitable like almost every year for the last, I don't know, 14, 15 years or something uh, going back. Um, had a good return on equity and stuff. But more than that, you could look up things and see that they were one of the biggest um, in their uh, little uh, business that they were in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could see lots of other things, too, about how legitimate a business it was, how it wasn't promotional. It was mostly family-controlled, things like that. So you just have to prove it is, it's not going to burn money. That's the most important thing. It's not a fraud. It's not going to burn money. Um, lots of people bring me Chinese net nets. Most of them are frauds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember that a couple of years ago. There's a bunch of like Chinese yep. net nets that came up. Um, and then lastly, international stocks, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of people are very interested in this. How do you come across... Um, you know, finding good international stocks you may, right. I, you know, not even haven't even heard of before. Yeah. So a big one is knowing people in other countries and talking to them. Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest thing. I mean, and that's a, a big piece of advice for anyone trying to find overlook stocks is reach out to people who you, anyone you know who deals in overlook stocks, reach out to them and talk stocks with them. The best way to do that is once you found one stock you like or something, um, talk to someone and suggest it and say, you know, what do you think about this and stuff? Give them sort of an idea or something. Do not email me or someone like me, you know, don't email Nate, me, people who write blogs like that and say, you know, do you have any good stock ideas or something? But you can email me and say, have you ever heard of this stock? I've heard of this. And I, you know, I didn't, I've never seen you write it up or something. Is this new to you? You might be bringing them an idea, giving them something you start up a conversation. So I talked to lots of people uh, who might be in other countries. And uh, probably I get a lot of the foreign ideas from people who that is their home country. I would say that at least half come from that way. Mm-hmm. There's some others where you can screen and stuff. I would say UK and Japan are really easy that way. And then the last one I would say um, that you can do is if you like a business in the United States, for example, mm-hmm. find a company that's kind of similar yep. just overseas. And you may find more of a, I mean, it may be cheaper overseas right. for Absolutely, you know, yeah. a bunch of different reasons. Yeah. I would say that's, that's mm-hmm. pretty good. Add on that. Cool. Well, that is the last, I think, category of stocks that we normally talk about, right? And overlook stocks. Yeah, I think that's it. Uh, we didn't talk about uh, emerging from bankruptcy or something like that. We yeah. haven't had any of that mm-hmm. in the uh, manager accounts in the, about a year we've been doing it. I do watch some companies that are involved with that stuff. There are blogs you can find with that. Um, things that are reorganized and stuff like that. And sometimes watching companies which you know are getting close to bankruptcy or something to see if they ever come out of it or mm-hmm. if there's any situation that that might be. I'd say a lot of times with that, it's paying attention to a company uh, when it's overburdened with debt and stuff and something you wouldn't want to buy now. But then you'll find out that, oh, now it's it, it's things have changed and stuff. So that's mm-hmm. a good example like the Value Investors Club and things like that. Reading old posts about something, yeah. you'd be surprised. There are companies that have gone bankrupt a couple times and come it's back like out. Hostess you know? Brands, yeah. Yeah, so it's good to – like, right, because if you had read about Hostess Brands a long time ago or something, there might be some things you like about it, some things you don't, and then things change and it comes out of bankruptcy and stuff yeah. and you have a whole different situation. Yeah, you may have not liked the pension liability they had, but then they filed bankruptcy right. and then now it's a totally different yeah. business because they don't have that debt burden. Yeah, yeah, except for reading blogs that are focused on special situations and – um, 
you know, distressed debt and things like that. Unless you're reading those sorts of things, I would say the most common one is you have some familiarity with the company and then that pays off a couple of years down the road where something happens. Because mm-hmm. I'm not going to name companies I think are on the verge of bankruptcy right now. But um, there are a couple where I would look at them and people, you know, write them up and say good things about them. I look at and I go, oh, no, this is too risky. But if that debt wasn't there, I would be interested in it. So there is some way of reorganizing that someday I might be interested. The business is not necessarily bad, but it's financially in a state I wouldn't buy today. Mm-hmm. And you just keep track of those. Cool. A lot of it is reading old things and keeping like a huge, just huge files of that, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, well, that's why Valley Investors Club is good. Mm-hmm. And then even, I mean, just searching the company to see what people have written about Absolutely, in the past. Yeah. I mean, even 10 years ago, you can yeah, see how the company like yeah. has evolved and, you know, where it was to how it got to where it is today. Mm-hmm. It just kind of paints the picture, I think. Yeah. And the more and more time you spend doing that stuff over the years, you find out that you do just naturally build up sort of these file cabinets in your brain of, stocks that you've seen before and stuff and mm-hmm. so it's really easy to start research on something i think that people have said that before about warren buffett i think that's definitely true that it's not like he um can be shown a totally new stock he's never heard of and immediately have an opinion about it but it's that so many times he's followed this stock for a while in some mm-hmm. way this industry in some way you know and it really does pay off to build that up there's a lot of things where you don't know what good that information is right now but it will turn out at a different price and everything for that stock sure that you know it's worth it so definitely read old posts that might be the biggest um piece of advice i can give is don't be afraid to read you know outdated stuff if it's on the it's really not outdated yeah exactly yeah. yeah yeah you could apply it going forward it's like compound yeah. interest just built up yeah people worry too much about like the stuff that's just come out in the last few months or something you know even value investors club or something i think they really focus on i want to read the most recent posts and not realizing there's like over a decade of great information on all sorts of different stocks mm-hmm. there that's the best thing to do on value investors club yeah. if you ask me just go and, and like do oldest to newest mm-hmm. or just go on the stocks a to z and just start yeah. reading it yeah you that's yeah, i can't explain that enough yeah that's really good cool well i want to thank everybody for tuning in with us here today if you do like the work we're doing here, I know I ask every single episode, but I'm going to continue to ask every single episode. Feel free to go to the podcast app on your iPhone and please give us a rating and review. That helps spread the word. And obviously, we want to see that jump up. Another announcement is we may start to do YouTube videos. Okay. We haven't really, we, we kind of getting some ideas going and they may be more so like how-to videos or maybe I'll just be sitting there and rambling on about something, mm-hmm. but that is something that we are going to explore. We do have a YouTube channel that has um, a, a, probably, I'd say, two-thirds of the podcast up on there. Okay. So I have to upload the rest, uh, but that's just Focused Compound on YouTube. So Focus Compound. Yeah, or Focus Compounding, actually. Focus we actually got the ing. Yeah. Okay, so Twitter, I can't because I'm on Twitter the characters. Is, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but on YouTube, really strict about the yeah, characters. I know, I know. <laughs> on YouTube, though, um, focus compounding. Okay. We're kind of going to explore some video content, and um, mm-hmm. we're pretty excited about that. So be on the lookout for that. We'll keep everybody updated as well. If you want to reach out to us, info at focused compounding is me. We did talk about managed to, or about overlooked stocks, which is the strategy mm-hmm. that we do employ um, for investors. If you're interested in learning more about that. Feel free to email me, info at focusedcompounding.com. You can always reach Jeff at Gannon on investing at gmail.com. And you can always also find me on Twitter at mm-hmm. Focused Compound. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with us. We'll see you in the next podcast. Have a great week. Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. If you want to know more about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompounding.com, where you can read stock ideas written by me and other members. Membership costs $60 a month, but if you use the promo code podcast, it'll be $50 a month for you. 
Andrew and I also manage accounts for investors. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscombounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. That's 469-207-5844. Thanks for listening.